Welcome to the Always Evolving Podcast. This is a podcast for those committed to always learning, always growing, always evolving into greater, more expansive versions of themselves. It's about living the life you want to live, a life most only dream about. Let's explore the possibilities together. I'm your host, Erica Boucher. So I'm here today interviewing Patrick Roan, and I first learned about you, Patrick, when I was watching Minimalism, the documentary. Yes. And what I want to do is just find out, first of all, how did you get involved with the documentary? And maybe a good place to start is introducing yourself and telling us what is minimalism, because I think a lot of people have a misconception about what that is. I'm realizing myself that I've been a minimalist for years, but I never called it that. I never knew that that's what it was. Yeah. But now that I'm watching all these videos and listening to all these podcasts and I'm nodding my head continuously because I've done this, I've been doing it for a long time. So, but for people who don't know, what is a minimalist? And just tell me about your journey and how you got involved in this. Well, the funny thing is, is like with a lot of terms, labels, as it were, it really depends, I think, more on the on the perception and the person who's using it, how they might define what minimalism is. And I don't even know if I, I would necessarily define myself that way, but certainly I think it is simply being intentional about evaluating your needs versus your wants and desires and doing your best to only consume or own or you know live with what is right for you and what determine what that need is for you and try to live within those boundaries i think that even if with that kind of very flexible definition because what is a need you know for me may not necessarily be for you and vice you know what have you and of course depending on whether you're a single or whether you're part of a family or whether you're part of a commune you know like it's all going to be you know different right and it's all going to be very personal but i think even that just deciding what that is personally and doing your best to live within those bounds is antithetical to the messages that we get, especially from Western society and a a very, you know, consumer Mm -hmm. uh, driven, small C capitalist driven economy. Yeah, you're right in that everyone ultimately has to define what that means for them, you know, what minimalism is for them and determining how that fits in. But first and foremost, really looking at the consumerism, like the mass consumerism that most of us have gotten caught up in. And I don't think I really realized myself how much I was doing that until I guess it was about 10 years ago, I decided I was moving to the Philippines for an Mm. indefinite amount of time. And I had a house full of furniture and a house full of belongings. And so I started, first I, I had a big yard sale and I sold what I could and then what didn't sell, I gave away to friends and then what still didn't go, I donated and I ultimately was left with a small storage unit worth of belongings. And it was so incredibly freeing to not have all that stuff weighing me down. I suddenly became, I started traveling a lot more. I started becoming a lot more productive. 
And ever since that experience, even after coming back to the United States, I've never really wanted to start accumulating again. And even when I cook, I'm realizing that I even bring a minimalist approach to cooking. You know, like it's more than five ingredients, it starts to get too complicated. So I guess where I'm going with this is for me, my definition of minimalism is just simplifying. Yeah. More approach. But it's intentional. You know, it's not something that you're just doing for the sake of doing or doing because it's cool. You're doing it because it eliminates complication from your life, needless complication, uh, one might say, or even you might say. But it's a very kind of intentional approach. You're, you're making choices and decisions about this is what I need. This is what I don't. I'm going to avoid what I don't and focus on what I do, right? Mm-hmm. I think that, that that's not something a lot of people really take the time to do. You know, we, we get just to get. We go to the mall and buy the thing because it's a really good price and it's on sale. We, you know, go to the grocery store and, wow, that's a really good bargain on those tomatoes. Although I'm only going to eat one, I'm going to buy five because they're five for a dollar, you right. know? Right. Um, <laughs> and it's making different choices based on the reality of our situation. Yeah, yeah. And I like what you say. It's really about being intentional, like being intentional and conscious of what we're bringing into our homes and what we're bringing into our lives. I think you can apply minimalism to every area. Like the way I see it is applying minimalism to my schedule. Am I overcrowding my schedule or am I leaving space? Yeah. Minimalism to my personal belongings, applying it to food and how I eat and how I prepare food. And also in my mind, that's what meditation for me, that's what meditation is about. It's about clearing the clutter of all of the thoughts that are just tripping over each other, trying to get my attention. My yoga practice, it's about creating space in my body by alleviating and and dropping some of that tension, that chronic tension that has built up over time. The more I dive into this concept of minimalism, the more layers I see to it. But for me, it started with it started with belongings, like personal belongings and material possessions. And I think that's a really great place to start. I mean, you know, we kind of in this situation, we start from the outside and we work our way in more and more by letting go of more and more and practicing kind of that less is more approach. Yeah. Well, and also I think one way that it certainly can be applied as well is to our relationships, right? I mean, one of the things I think a lot of people struggling with is feeling like, well, I've got to associate with these people or those people or I need to, you know, and like you can actually apply some of these ideas to your relationships. And it's like, okay, what is this doing for me? Where does it fit into my life? And what problem is it solving, right? And if it doesn't really have a problem it's solving or a place to be in your life as far as making it better, improving it, oftentimes we get involved in relationships that are really just, you know, the, the person who wants to meet up for coffee just to kind of pick our brains about their latest idea, right? It's how do you say, I don't have the capacity for, for that, right? Or that yeah. I want something different from it, or that I'm going to approach it with intention, you know, and say, this is the reason why this interaction matters. And I'm going to pursue it for that reason. I think a lot of people just don't think through these things in an introspective way. When I I think doing so can allow for such greater freedom and, well, quite frankly, peace. 
in our life. Someone asked me why I meditate or what's the reason for meditation. I say, well, peace. And even if just for that one breath, just focusing on that one breath, that's one moment's peace I had that I otherwise wouldn't have today. And it's, it's kind of a similar thing here. Sometimes just getting rid of that one thing, that, that one choice that you might have to make today. And there are many high-powered executives we're aware of that kind of, for similar reasons, subscribe to this. Uh, you know, Steve Jobs, when he was alive, you know, wore pretty much the same thing every day. Not always. A lot of people don't know he actually did wear something other than jeans and a turtleneck when it was really <laughs> California. He would actually wear khaki shorts and a turtleneck. But regardless, <laughs> the idea was to, was to limit that choice, that one choice. It seemed so, you know, getting dressed and what are we going to wear seems so inconsequential to most of us. But for him, that was the one thing he didn't have to do that day out of the right. millions of choices and decisions he had to make. Mm -hmm. One less choice to be made. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. I mean, if we're constantly making choices, being bombarded with choices to make yeah. from where to what to eat, to what phone calls to take, to, yes. you know, how we're going to spend our time. And you're right. I think a lot of us just don't do it consciously and then before we realize it we're overwhelmed we're anxious we're stressed mm -hmm. we find ourselves stuck in a situation and wondering how the heck did i get here or we find ourselves with a bunch of belongings wondering well, where did all this come from and, and so i think bringing conscious choice and intentionality into all of these different areas of our lives that's so i guess we could we minimalism could be called intentionality could be called you know Conscious choice could be called mm -hmm. simplifying or living with less or whatever it is that you want to call it. And I think that's the misconception. Some people see this concept or they, they see minimalism and they immediately think that this is a person in a tiny one-bedroom apartment with one futon and that's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And that's not, not how I live, uh, nor do I expect others to. And I, I do, quite frankly, that is in part some of us who are kind of in the more visible spectrum of the minimalism movement, that is partly our fault. That is, that is partly the fault of, yeah, when we first, you know, kind of landed upon this idea and started talking about it, we got excited about it and we threw out there like all these pretty pictures of like what was possible. And we had did all these like hundred item challenges and 33 things <laughs> in the closet and we're going to out minimalism, the next minimalist. And we're, and it's easy, like anything, when you kind of get excited about anything, you kind of tend to Go start to wanting to take it to the extremes and preach it to everybody you know is the best new thing in the world. And I at least tried to be very careful, and I continue to be even more careful about saying, yeah, no, that's not actually real-world experience. You know, I can, I can tell you that, say, Josh and Ryan, the minimalists who kind of were the, they were the stars of that documentary. They don't live that way. I know they don't live that way. Mm -hmm. But I do know that they live with intention. I do know that they live with what is enough for them. I do know that Josh has it a little bit more easier than Ryan because Josh happens to live with someone else who also is a you know practitioner of simplicity and living a life of less. And so together, they're able to forge that path together. I can tell you, Ryan doesn't have it so easy. 
And I can tell you for certain, I don't have it that way. Um, <laughs> you, you, know. you mentioned to me that you said I should tell you that I'm a minimalist, but my wife and daughter are maximalists. Yes. That I is... thought, really brilliant to talk about that because I live somebody who, so I went through this experience of getting rid of a lot of stuff and I really love the less is more. It's one of my mantras for life. You know, I love living that way to the best of my ability. You know, mm -hmm. I have stuff, but he is a collector. You know, when he was about 12 years old, he started collecting coins and he started collecting gemstones. And so that tendency to collect things has grown with him. So mm -hmm. he's got a plethora of books and he's got a lot of hobbies and interests between scuba diving and snorkeling and surfing and like the list just goes on and on. So, so that was kind of a challenging thing for us to navigate our way yeah. through. And I think that's, Part of the conversation that has to happen when a couple gets together is being able to together decide, okay, what do we need and how do we want to live in this space that we are co-creating here together? And it, it's not to say that one's right or wrong. It's just, are we creating the environment that's conducive to the, the lifestyle that we want to live? And yeah. I think ultimately that's something that each individual has to determine for themselves and then each couple has to figure that out. Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, whenever you're living in community and community is any place where there's more than one, these are the sorts of discussions you need to have about, like, what are your intentions for that community and what, you know, and for that relationship and kind of, how do you want to navigate those things? And most of it is not done intentionally. You're kind of forced upon it. I met this person. We fell in love. We're, this is great. Oh, yeah, this is fantastic. Let's move in together. Oh, no, this is <laughs> not going the way that I thought. And oh, no, you know, and now you're having these struggles and such and you work it out because you have to, right? Right. You know, I think ultimately what, what has helped me in my life, in my relationship, is understanding that, you know, the way that I may want things, number one, is not the one true way. As much as I may think it's better, it's not. It's just another choice, a different choice, um, a choice that works for me that may not necessarily work for, for my beautiful bride. But the other part of it, too, is that I've had to, you know, sometimes begrudgingly, but ultimately, find a way to appreciate and respect her way of living in that way and her choices. And a lot of times what is the way that I'm able to do that is instead of looking at like the plethora of things coming through the door, try to, you know, say, okay, well, what is the motivation behind that? Does the stuff give my partner an added sense of security? A security that I, I can't give her, that you know, but this is her way of having it, of feeling it. And what kind of person um, would I be? How compassionate would it be to not want her to feel safe? Oftentimes, it's a desire to, here, I got this because I, th I thought it would help us in this way. And I may look at that and say, well, you know, you really don't need any help in that way. But okay, you know, but once again, the motivation behind it was, was pure. Right. And came, and came from a place of love. And so who am I? to come back and say, well, you know, that love doesn't matter. How, how hurtful is that to my partner? And would I rather be right about something or would I rather be happy? Mm -hmm. And be, yeah. be happy by knowing that she is happy, knowing that she feels safe, knowing that she feels like she's done something to help, knowing that she feels like she's done something to make our family better, regardless of, of how... I may 
react to it just because it's not my method and not my way. For me, the getting rid of the stuff is making our family better, right? The getting rid of the stuff is, right? And so I think that's the other thing too, is that in my approaching things that way, hopefully I'm helping her to also look at my side of things and do a similar kind of look behind the curtain. Yeah, I can really relate to that because one of the things that, in my example, my partner and I, we both share this understanding of sustainability and the realization that as easy as it is for me to, to look around and think, you know, we don't, we don't need this. We don't use this. We haven't touched it in five years and it's collecting dust. Let's get rid of it. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, is the realization that, you know, unless we find someone to give it to or we donate it, you know, when the concept of throwing things away, there is no away, right? Mm-hmm. Like there is no away. So, so his approach is, you know, and he'll hold on to things thinking we might need this. We might be able to use this someday. And uh-huh. many times when we will find, you know, we'll be looking for something or trying to think of a creative way to, to do something. And he'll be like, oh, I have just the thing. And sure enough. <laughs> <we'll have laughs> that, that, that one thing will justify the 20 others. Yes. Right, right, there. right. So, so yeah. trying to, to appreciate, like, I get where he's coming from. And, you know, he's respecting where I'm coming from. And then the way we've kind of navigated our way through that is we have like a like common area, like the main zones of the house, like coming in the door, the kitchen the, or the dining room, the living room, the kitchen, like the main living areas that we all frequent. We've kind of agreed, let's keep this uncluttered. And he has actually two rooms where all of his musical instruments and his all of his all of his stuff goes, it collects Mm -hmm. in those two rooms and he can do whatever he wants in there. And then I have my space where that's where my stuff goes. And we just try to respect each other's space in that way. And that's how we've navigated it. Like, okay, this is a common area. That's your space. This is my space. And if it doesn't fit into one of those three places, then we have to make a decision about what we're going to do with it. That's really great. Getting back to the sustainability point. Yeah. You know, this is, you know, if it's not going to someone to be used, it will either A, go into some landfill somewhere, or B, go to then be resold to make money for somebody else. You know, it's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm not necessarily a, as good work as Goodwill tries to do. The truth is, is that the vast majority of their stuff, they sell for profit. And if you take a look at what their CEO made last year, for instance, you'll see that a lot of that profit goes straight to the top, you know? And so we're giving them things that literally cost them zero that they are turning around and selling for a profit. Now, granted, you know, then great, it's not in the landfill. It's been going, going to be used by hopefully people that could use it that maybe couldn't afford to buy something like that new or couldn't like, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. There's lots of good right, things right, from right. it. But that's what's going to happen to your stuff when you decide, oh, I'm going to be Mr. or Miss Minimalist and throw it all away or give it all away. One of the things that, that my wife has done now for a few years, and it's just been really kind of great to watch, and I think it's a, a really great thing from a sustainability standpoint, is she's part of a local kind of women's forum, women's cooperative forum on Facebook, just a big Facebook group where a bunch of, we, I live in St. Paul, Minnesota, so a bunch of St. Paul women are, you know, part of this large Facebook group. And very often, I probably one happening at least once a week, 
people will get together and organize a clothing exchange where yeah. they'll get together. They'll all bring clothes that they're no longer wearing or that don't fit anymore or just aren't right or maybe you know not their style anymore or whatever. Bring it to the clothing exchange and basically just pick and choose like oh yeah this you know this would fit me oh i like this oh this i you know and then there's a bunch of stuff left over and usually the person who organizes the exchange organizes what to do with the stuff that's left over and it almost always is to like a woman's shelter or to a place here in town that specifically is a you know not a thrift store it's basically a free store that's specifically for the homeless right and making sure it goes to a good place. You know, but the, the lovely part of it is that I don't think my, you know, my wife has really bought much of anything new in the past three years. It's all been things uh. that she's got through the clothing exchange, right? And so these clothes are not only getting up, going to a place where they're definitely going to get worn and used and, and loved, but it's been so often that, like, you know, she'll run into one of the women, you know, at a different thing. Oh, wait, my dress. You've, oh, that looks great on you, you know, sort of thing, right? And so you actually get to see see the goodness in action. And that's it's so powerful to be able to actually see the goodness in action. Yeah, yeah, I agree totally. So let's review some of the ways, because I've, I've been reading, I think it's, is it Joshua Becker? He wrote a book on the minimalist minimalist home, and yes. I've been reading his book, and and like I said, watching podcasts and watching videos, just because I'm I'm really enjoying it. Like it's reminded me to do some spring cleaning, <laughs> and which is great. Like I've been organizing closets and drawers, and and just going through layer by layer, and really looking at. And that's what that's what he says when you're going through your thing. Don't just indiscriminately just get rid of everything. Just be intentional about it, like we've been talking about. Yeah. Here. And he said, you know, with each item you pick up, look at it and ask yourself, do I need this? Yeah. Is this adding value to my life? Or is it just, is it just something that I've been holding on a shelf for five years for some reason? Like, you know, to, just to ask ourselves, do I really need this? So that's one question, like really mm-hmm. looking at our belongings and checking in, is this something that adds value to my life? Do I need this? Okay. If the answer is yes, great. Figure out where you're going to put it. If the answer is no, then looking at some of the ways that we can get rid of things. And I, and I think he even talks about, he says, okay, so first, maybe you have a yard sale. Maybe you yeah. decide to sell some items that you know have value. And then whatever doesn't sell, maybe then you, like I was saying, maybe you offer them up to friends or like your wife is doing with clothing by doing the swap, which is another, maybe that's like second tier, you know? So first yeah. level, okay, what am I selling? Second level, okay, who, who might be interested in this? Third level, maybe that's where we donate, like, okay, I've exhausted all these other resources, but the library could use these books, or the Salvation Army could use these items. And then from there, looking at, okay, what do I recycle? And then what do I, what goes into the trash? And so hopefully, by the time you go through those five options, hopefully, there's not that much that goes into the trash. But, but I think what's good about it is once we go through this process, then every time we are faced with the prospect of bringing a new item into the house, we start to think twice about it. Yeah. And at the very least, we approach it with a similar amount of intention. Once we start applying that filter everywhere, at least we can know when it does come in the house that it's been vetted, you know, that it's passed those tests. 
And hopefully that makes it even that much more desirable and that much more appreciated, that much more loved. It's just simply a way of navigating an increasingly scarce world with a mindset that is flexed towards your own personal joy. Yeah, like we were saying earlier, there's so much coming at us from so many directions. To be able to stop and filter through it and say, okay, what am I letting into my life and being conscious and intentional about it? What am I letting into my home? What am I letting into my headspace? What am I letting into my closet, into my body? Like, you know, really looking at it, it's just about making conscious choices and, and noticing how the choices that we make actually make us feel. Yeah. And, you know, in the same way, in noticing like how once you've made those choices, once you kind of understand and have done the introspection of what your own personal metrics are, all the choices you now don't have to make, all the things you can just simply ignore, all the promotions that come in the inbox, all the clearance racks that you'll pass by, all the two for ones and buy one, get ones in the, uh, you yeah. know, in, in, in the stores. You just won't have to. We become much more decisive. <laughs> I can just let that pass by. I can say yeah. no. Yeah. It's so freeing to be able to just look at whatever new shiny thing comes along and say, that's great. It's not for me. When the new iPhone comes out and instead of reflexively being, oh my gosh, I have that being like, you know what? The one I have in my pocket is still working exactly the same way as it was five minutes ago before I heard about this thing. <laughs> right. And that this is enough for me. And that is not for me. And just being able to just let that wash by. And now you can ignore all of the news. You can ignore all of those commercials. You can just let those just wash right past you because, <laughs> because you've already made that choice. Yeah, it is definitely very freeing. So before we wrap up, I just want to ask you, how did you get involved? Yeah, that's a good question. So I actually, for speaking of Joshua Becker, uh, for his site, Becoming Minimalist, I, I wrote a guest post a while back that explains a little bit of this journey. But basically, my first marriage, my previous marriage, my, my wife at the time decided that she didn't want to be a full-time wife and mother any, any longer and left. When we were married, I had let her handle all of the finances. I had determined at some point in my early years, probably because it was true then that I wasn't any good with money. And so when we got together, you know, I said, oh, here, I'll just literally sign my paycheck over to you, even when we were dating and just let you handle everything and pay the bills. And if I need money, I'm sure you'll give it to me and blah, blah, blah. And so when we got divorced, we actually ended up having over $40,000 worth of debt that needed to be figured out through that kind of spending that you do when you're young and you, you know, need to get the first apartment. And so now you need to furnish that first apartment and then you have kids and now you got to buy the stuff for the kids and having the kids means you got to get a house, which means all the stuff that you bought for the apartment. Well, now you need to buy more stuff to be able to fill a house. And you get what I'm saying. It's mm -hmm. part of that consumer cycle that we all just kind of happen upon because we're young and we don't know any better. And that's just the way that you're told it's supposed to be. And so you do it. And you just get deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. So, you know, when she left and I was a full-time single dad and trying to raise two kids on my own, 
I yeah, found myself very, very poor, <laughs> basically. Uh, she really wasn't paying me what she should have in child support, and I was having to live very, very frugally, where these choices literally became a matter of eating and not eating. And so I think it's really easy if you come from a place of privilege and plenty to be able to say, well, I'm going to be a minimalist now, and I'm going to get rid of my stuff. There's lots of people who are quote unquote minimalists without calling themselves that. Instead, they know what they are, and that's they're poor. They don't have the money to buy the new shiny thing. They don't have the money to eat out all the time versus, you know, cooking at home. They're lucky if they can even cook at home a healthy meal, let alone, you know, but most of the time it's a can of beans with some, you know, the cheapest hot dogs you can find cut up and mixed up in it because that's what the kids will eat and that's what they love. And guess what? It costs all of $2 to make that meal for your family of three. And so that's what you could afford. It's not the best for you. There's absolutely no greens whatsoever in it, but that's what it is. You know, basically what happened was after I kind of got out of that and, you know, got a good job and was making okay money and had gotten out of that poverty situation, I think once I realized how little I could get away with. And how little you could buy on. And how little I could get by on and how much I didn't want to go back into debt. I refused to get credit cards. I refused to do that again. Yeah, like once I kind of navigated all that and made those choices, it's like, oh, okay, well, guess what? I don't have to, I don't necessarily have to change now that I've made, you know, now that I'm making more money, right? You know, I guess what that means is that I don't have to skip one meal a day, but at the same time, it doesn't mean I have to now eat out all the time. Right. It doesn't mean, you know, occasionally I can, you know, afford a nice little luxury or, you know, go here and see you know, whatever. But it doesn't have to be that way because I don't need it. It really helped me to determine the difference between what I wanted and what I needed. And like once you kind of figure that out and once you navigate what that difference is, you know, it becomes very easy to identify the things that are just simply wants. And to be able to say, yeah, it's a want. I don't need it. And that's okay. I, I don't have to have it. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing your story. It's inspiring because it's like, okay, this was thrust upon you, but now recognizing, okay, you know what? Actually, I don't really need that much. And yeah. I'm going to continue to be conscious and responsible yeah. <laughs> with the choices that I'm making. So, Well, and, and also I think it's important to understand, especially those of us who are not necessarily in that situation, that everything you know, for everything that we, that we take in, you know, that came from somewhere that, and, and that means possibly that one less person doesn't have that. It's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily a one for one, but it certainly is kind of a global connection of way of looking at the, uh, looking at the world. But I think about these things way too deeply, right? You know, I think about the chair that I'm sitting on literally took thousands of people to create for me. It started with the people that mined the steel for the, the legs, the people that cut down the trees for the rubber, for the wheels, for the casters. Every piece of this chair, as simply as it is, just a chair, a thousand people are responsible for that. Right. Getting it from beginning to right underneath you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. From its very origin, right? And... I'm the sort of person who, when I sit in this chair, I remember the thousands that allowed me to do this. And I feel connected to them, and I thank them. I feel blessed that they, that they lived 
for my comfort right right now gratitude into it that's beautiful yeah so i think that that's true of everything that we consume right everything that we consume took thousands of people for you to have it right 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 oh such a good reminder so before we wrap up Tell people how they can find out more about you because you've written a few books. Tell people about you. I'll put it in the show notes. Yes. So I've written six books. The one that got me uh, into the documentary was a book called Enough. But I've been writing about these sorts of ideas for a very long time. And it was very nice of Josh and Ryan to invite me to uh, be a part of it. That whole story is hilarious, too, because they came the day after Christmas, which is the absolutely worst time to interview a, a minimalist who lives with maximalists. <laughs> but I invite other people to check out my books. If you go to patrickrone.com, you can find a link to all of my books, my other places, my newsletter, all of that. I write regularly at patrickrone.net for my quote-unquote blog. And I have a newsletter that I uh, send much more personal communications out to on a somewhat frequent basis. Yeah, besides that, I'm just a guy who lives in St. Paul, Minnesota, where it's unseasonably warm, worrying about climate change and what it means for my 10-year-old daughter and my wife in a beautiful Queen Anne Victorian home that was built in 1886 and is in no way minimal. Uh, well, Patrick, thank you so much. I, this has been an absolute pleasure. And for those who want to find you, you said it's Patrick Rohn, R-H-O-N-E, dot net. Dot net for my blog, dot com, if you want to find a well, link to the blog, as well as my books, as well as everything else. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Definitely have thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope that we stay in touch. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been an honor. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you're ready to take your life a step further, then by all means, go to my website and sign up for my free webinar on how to fall in love with your life without medication, years of therapy, or forced positive thinking. Visit haveabreakthrough.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Always Evolving. Please feel free to share this episode with anyone you think might appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this podcast, let me know by giving me a five-star rating. Until next time, keep learning, keep growing, keep evolving.